Chad Kenville, owner of Natural Design Landscapes, and I'm a hardscaper. Chad, how did you get started in hardscaping? So I was probably about 17 years old when I got started. Found a local garden center in my city, so it was a uh, a summer job for me. And uh, I'd go back and forth every year between school and the fall and winter, obviously, and then uh, landscaping in the summer. We it was a company called um, MacNell's Garden Center, actually, in the in the town where I'm from. And uh, they did a lot of planting and uh, a lot of sod work. Uh, we did trees for the city. We did trees for homeowners. Not really a lot of hardscape work, but we'd fill the time in between the big commercial stuff with, uh, like, residential patios and a driveway here and there and a couple walkways. And the boss that I worked for, he was very popular guy in town so he knew everybody so i mean if you wanted a large-scale hardscape job he'd book you in in between his uh his softscape schedule and what was it that uh you know when you when you eventually started your business what kind of uh drew your heart or what, what where does your heart lie is it uh do you tend to go more towards that softscape side or would you say that the the hardscape side is where you where you lean towards honestly i love 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 the hardscape side of what i do on the opposite side of that i'm seeing more return in commercial softscape work I'm torn right now. I'm, st- I'm still growing as a business, probably nine or ten years in now. I I have to make money. We're at the point where our overhead costs. We have all this nice equipment, nice machines, uh, lots of guys, the manpower, uh, the skills. Now we have to pay for it all, right? We're in residential hardscape. We see more of a return in commercial softscape. It seems right now, anyway. We can always tweak the business model as we go just to sort of accommodate. But honestly, like I'm having fun doing it all right now. Absolutely. So when did you start your business? Uh, can you give us a little bit of a timeline in, in that sense? I started natural design whenever uh, the recession hit in 2009 or so, I think. Right. So my boss had laid us off midsummer and I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I was okay with brickwork and planting work. He said, okay, let's give this a go on my own, I guess. So he said, well, I have one small job I can throw at you. And it was a little, a brick lock job, uh, four by eight. It was a patio, maybe 150, 200 square feet or something. So uh, me and the other guy that got laid off jumped in his pickup truck and uh, went down to the job site and we finished it in a couple of days. We made, I don't know, $20 an hour cash or whatever. And, uh, I don't think I worked a whole bunch the rest of that season, maybe little things here and there. But, um, the next season I sort of went and gave it my all. We, I bought a, uh, a crappy GMC Sierra holes in the side and dents in the doors and stuff and put a little logo on that, made a business card and really went at it. And uh, 10 years later, I think we're a little better off than we were um, back then. 
Yeah, and it's always good to hear guys' roots, like where they where they started, and uh, you know that that first pickup truck that they purchased for their business, and, and where they are now. You know how how did you get to where you are right now? Can you give us a little bit of a story about uh, say after that first project that you did there, where you, you said you made about twenty dollars an hour? Like where did where did it progress from there? Like what happened next after that? And and what made you decide to get that pickup truck and and slap that logo on the truck and not go into say a different industry or try to get a job? So it's sort of weird. Um, I've done a lot as far as school goes and education. I mean, I went to university in uh, Waterloo, so Wilfrid Laurier. Um, oh, I, I went, went to Laurier. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, that's neat. <laughs> go Goldhawks. Uh, so yeah, uh, got my English degree from there. Originally, I wanted to teach. Didn't end up teaching, just not for me. Um, I'm a Red Seal barber or hairstylist. Um, I got that in between all the other stuff that was going on. And uh, at the end of the day, or at the end of it all, uh, I just kept coming back to this hardscaping thing. I remember being at the salon and uh, looking out the window saying, holy shit. If this were any other year, I would have been outside planting trees right now. I would have been uh, screening a base or something. I would have been uh, laying saw at any, anything but what I'm doing now. Not that it was a bad gig. It's just not who I was as a person. Yeah, so where did you go from there? From from that point where, you know, you looked out the window and you said you could be outside working. Like, what? What? Uh, where did you go from that point? I jumped back into hardscaping, sort of, both feet whenever I finally decided to return home to Cornwall. And uh, I mean, I got the business card out there. I went around to my local retailers. That was the first thing. And I said, hey, um, I used to work for so-and-so. I'm out of my own now. I'd appreciate it if you could maybe consider me whenever you're, I mean, they have their cards stacked at the front there for uh, for clients to see. Uh, maybe consider giving my card out. And uh, some of them were like, yeah, we, we know who you work for. You're a, you're a nice guy. Like, let's see what you can do. And uh, it snowballed from there, sort of. A lot of hard work, obviously. Like, uh, I would do a home at Rachel back home, and I'd pick up a little mulch job or something, and that would keep me, that $500 would keep me going for the week, right? And uh, and you pick up a little brick job, and you're making maybe a uh, thousand bucks. And so you're going a little longer, but I mean, your overhead with a little pickup truck and a wheelbarrow and a shovel, it's not. Not a ton of overhead. It's, I mean, anything that you're taking in, you're sort of putting in your pocket, I think, anyway. But, yeah, it's uh, for me, it's has always been about hard work and the right connections. I never really can say that I did it all. I mean, I, mean, I worked hard on my own as a one-person crew and everything, but I never can really say that I didn't have someone to help me out or something that I could fall back on. Uh, just to, even if in terms of like a, a place to dump, you dump your fill and stuff. I always had someone I could call. I wasn't going around to the dump and stuff like that, right? To have to get rid of fill. I always had someone, if I was really hurting for money or work, I could pick up the phone and say, do you have something for me? And I could put in a couple days like that. And I think that's important to anybody starting out is, uh, build your connections as early on as you can. If you're a nice guy, people want to work with you. Yeah, I think that's such an important point, um, you know, because you yourself are your business. You are your brand. So being being the nice guy and, uh, 
you know, making those connections and networking with people, people want to work with you and you've always got that fallback, which I myself also had. And it's, uh, it's just nice to have that little cushion that, you know, you know, if your business maybe doesn't go so well, you can put in a little bit of work, make a little bit of money to keep the business going at any time. Um, what was the point, you know, uh, getting, getting these leads, uh, at the beginning when you first started off is much different from probably what you're getting the leads from now. So uh, over time, what, where are you, where did you start getting the leads from and where are you getting your leads from now? So to start, I'll, I'll go back to this uh, idea of approaching your retailers. Uh, to me, at the beginning, that was very important to get my card out there. They could see, uh, to my business, my logo. And I sort of left it up to the retailers to try and feed me work where they could at the beginning. And uh, it snowballed from there, right? Because uh, I think at least at the beginning for me, people wanted to go in and see their materials and pick up a catalog and all this stuff. Um, and then they didn't know who they were going to have install. My market is probably for the most part a lower end market. And I was able to slip right in there at the beginning with the, uh, low price point for my work and stuff, which it, I mean, now it's, uh, we're, we're not there at all. I don't advocate for charging less for your work. I think you should get as much as you deserve and as much as you're worth. But at the beginning, I could slip in there and sort of mingle amongst the, the bottom feeders in town and then use my time uh, on the job site to maybe do a little more, give it a little more of a wow factor and, uh, and climb the ladder that way to where I could differentiate myself from the guys that I was grouped in with as like the, the boring landscapers or the, the not great landscapers. Mm. So yeah, just climbing that ladder mostly from having the retailers push my work. On that note though, I think the, one of the most important thing for growing your business is paying your bills to the retailers. I think everybody wants to work with somebody when they know they're going to get paid. And from the very beginning, I've always said uh, the retailers have to be paid as quickly as possible. Right. And they really appreciated that. And then they'd work with me more and, and give out my card more. And uh, we'd grow together that way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a partnership in that sense where, they know they're going to give their leads, their customers to somebody that they can trust. And they also know that they're going to get paid at the end of the day, which is uh, absolutely nice for them. Now, do you, are you still getting leads from the, the guy you worked for uh, when you first started in the industry? So if we've come full circle just about. So 10 years ago when I started the business, uh, obviously I said I'm freshly unemployed from him. Now I say 10 years later, uh, I bought his yard his 12 acre yard with my, my big shop and all that stuff for renovating the office, all this fun stuff. And, uh, he's retired now. So all his big commercial connections are, uh, funneled towards us at least. Right. I mean, I still have to price them, price all the jobs. I still have to go out and make the connection with the clients and everything, but we're getting that runoff or whatever he's letting go, whatever he has let go is, uh, at least falling more towards us because uh, we're young and we're willing to do it, right? Absolutely. That's awesome. So getting into your sales process now, you, you, you've got these leads coming in. Uh, somebody goes through your website, gives you an email, or shoots you a, a phone call. 
where do you take that process from there? Uh, you know, where do you take uh, that, that first point of contact from? If I'm getting a phone call during the day, I'm most likely not going to answer it unless it's from the client that I'm working for at that moment. I try and screen all my calls so that I'm not using one client's time to work for another, right? Um, I'm the face of the company, but I'm also still out in the field installing. I have to try and separate my time so that my client at that time gets my full attention until I can move on to the next project. So what I'm trying to say is I'll return calls off the working clock, I guess. So after hours, whenever I'm, whenever the saw is not running in the background and whenever the packers aren't running and whenever the machines aren't going off, I'll screen the calls. And uh, if you are, I guess, lucky enough to, to get a hold of me, I'll schedule our estimates for generally sometime in the evening. Uh, you'll have a quick chat with the client and um, we'll, we'll proceed from there. Sort of like a, a regular consult will, I'll ask them what they want why they, they want us to do it because I think that's important at this point is uh, are they calling us because they want us or are they just looking for a number? And we're really, at this point, when it comes to hardscape, we're not the, the number guys. If price is number one, then honestly, as bad as it sounds, I don't really even want to be involved. I want to do something that's going to last, something that's going to look amazing, something that we're going to have fun doing, but I don't want to go through that whole penny pinching process like we used to do in the past or starting out at least yeah absolutely and being able to you know pick those jobs is so important to growing your business and you're obviously at a point now where you're able to do that now with with these consultations uh are you are you charging for them uh, for the initial consultation when you go out there and meet that customer for the first time I wish that we could charge for uh, for consults, and I, I think a lot of guys feel the same. Um, it would be great to say 50 bucks for me to show up, have a consult. You're going to get some some value out of my time, right? And maybe some ideas, and we can use that as a, a springboard to go further with your project. But I don't think that my market facilitates it, at least right now. I've never tried. I mean, I guess I could try. But nobody else is doing it, so I don't feel that I can. Anyone who's great where I'm from is extremely busy. And I think if we all jumped in together into that charging for consult mentality, then it would work, um, at least for the middle to high-end clients that see the value in our time. But as I said before, I'm not in a super expensive market where that would work for everybody, which, I mean... On the other side, I think it might be great because right off the bat, we'd weed out those tire kickers, those uh, price shoppers, anyone who we never really wanted to work for in the beginning. Yeah, I think there's always, you know, positives and negatives to any decision like that. And I used to work for a hardscape supplier similar to what you did when you started. And, you know, our market didn't have that. Our market didn't facilitate uh 
somebody charging for the first consultation. So when finally somebody did start to do that and we were sending that company leads, those customers would come back to us and say, hey, why are these guys trying to charge us an initial consultation? Nobody else is doing this. We're not going to go through them. So, you know, it definitely like is all about feeling your market and knowing if your market is is willing to be able to handle that. Yeah, and I mean, generally in other in other industries, you wouldn't ask someone to work for free, right? And your consult is work. You're going home and you're pricing materials and all this stuff. If homeowners had a contractor mentality, they might understand why we should charge for this, uh, for these consults, right? But I mean, uh, that's why we have one set of skills and they have a completely different set of skills. And we sort of need them and they need us and we all make it work, but at the sacrifice of us, uh, using our time or giving our time away um, freely for estimates at least, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, af- with that first initial consultation, you talked a little bit about, you know, what you you asked them what they're going to use their space for and everything. With with all these questions that you asked, do you ask any other questions in terms of, like, getting a feel for what you're going to do for them? And once you have those questions, uh, what do you do from there with with all the information that you've gathered from them? So once I know what their goals for the space are, um, I can bounce some ideas off them. What do you think about this? Would you consider a fire pit? Would you use it? Would you do you like gardening? Do you spend a lot of time in the garden? Do you want more green space incorporated in here? And then I can take that away and. From there, I'll say, okay, I'll go home, I'll write you up an estimate. And that's as much time as I'm going to invest in that job until they've shown some reciprocation, right? Until they've given me more because I found a lot of times during my first consultation, I'm leading the conversation and sort of drawing these answers out of them. But a lot of times they don't know what they want either. So... Sometimes you can tell people what they want and they'll agree with you or they'll be apprehensive and it sort of sours the relationship off the beginning. So from the the first consultation, like I say, I'll go home, do up a quick estimate for them probably takes about an hour or so, send it back to them and then the ball's in their court to come back and say, okay, well, what do we get for that price point? And, um, can we look at materials and this and that? I generally do a lot of choosing materials for my clients or at least guiding them in the right direction based on what I think they'd like and what they can afford, which uh, maybe is not the right way to do it, right? You're not supposed to judge <laughs> what someone can afford. But, uh, I mean, we want to win the job for the clients that we like. We want to give them value on the project. So after we meet, and we go back and forth. I leave it with them until finally I think it comes up is, okay, well, can you draw something up for us? And from there we say, yes, we can do 3D renderings, but they're going to be in the realm of $500 refundable upon signing of your job. But we need that $500 to move forward uh, with the design aspect of it uh, so that we know you're serious here because you know, and do design work takes time and it's a specialized skill and we can't give you any more for nothing. 
with this initial quote created and the design, uh, actually going back to that first consultation, do you bring out samples? Do you always have samples in your, in your truck of uh, products that you would uh, recommend to them to, to install so that they can actually see it right away? Or do you meet with them off-site at a, at a supplier to be able to run through the different products afterwards? How do you show them the products uh, before they're installed? So there's a box full of Tech Block catalogs sitting on my passenger side rear seat all season long, just about. Um, so every client gets a, a copy of uh, the the book for the year, right? Um, I say, have a look through here. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. A lot of the times, I already know in my head sort of what they're going to choose before before leaving. So I'll make maybe some suggestions in my quote. But if the client's serious and they've uh, agreed to the drawing that we're going to go with, for sure, I'll meet you at the, the retailer. We'll run through some products. We'll do a little mock-up based on maybe a couple pieces of Antica and Bellagio and Blue or whatever we're using for the job. We'll do a little wall mock-up right there to make sure they're happy with the colors because I always tell clients you need to see the colors in real life before making any final decisions. And... uh so I, I guess in a way that's sort of consultation number two on the job and, and I'll get to feel them out more and get to know the client more. If I need to make any adjustments to the job, I can tell them about that at that point, right? Like they don't really care that you're using a 60 mil and an 80 mil together or something like that, but they need to be aware that you've priced it accordingly. And if they're going to make changes from that point, there's going to be a cost associated with that. Right. So I don't want them to have to open up any can of worms on their job. I want everything to be as transparent as possible. Uh, I want to build a great relationship with them. And I think having that second meeting at the retailer really pushes that relationship further than one meeting. Obviously, you don't know how do you expect to hand over twenty or thirty thousand dollars to a guy you've met one time and uh, he's giving you an email quote, which is a. Uh, you're investing your time in the client and in the relationship. And if they're reciprocating, I think everything goes smoothly from, from that second meeting forward. Not that it doesn't on the first meeting, but, uh, uh, I think it's important to invest that time with the client. If you're, you're going to have a, a good product in the end, you're going to produce something that they're happy with in the end. Absolutely. So after that design process, any other consultations to narrow down the product? When you're landing that job, you're having that them sign that contract, what are your payment plans like? Uh, and does it depend on the job, the size of the job? What, what do you do with that? So as bad as it is in the past, we've always done just pay me when the job is done. You know, for the past eight years or so, well, I guess since the beginning of the business, it's always been... Don't worry about it. Just pay me when the job's done. We'll settle up then. I mean, it's always worked for us because I've ran on this mentality that you have to be transparent with the client and you have to guide them and tell them what you're... I'm a big fan of telling them what we're doing and keeping them updated. I love when they come home at the end of the day and uh, they have questions or they're curious about things. I want to tell them everything we did that day and... Uh, it helps to build that relationship, but to, to move forward with your question, we need to transition from that pay me when you're done to 
this year we're going to implement four draws of 25%. So 25% to sign up the job, 25% when material lands, 25% upon 50% completion of your job, and then 25% upon final inspection, making sure you're happy with everything and closing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, definitely a safer way to, to go about that, which brings me up my next story. And it, I find it interesting that in the past you've, you've you know, stuck to that uh, pay me upon completion. Uh, I like to, at this point in the interview, turn this into a different direction. Because right now at this point we've been talking about experiences, probably bringing up some good memories maybe. But what about those bad memories? You know, what about those horror stories that you've had, uh, either with payment with customers or something went wrong in a job? Just to get that information out there into, into other people's ears to, you know, maybe they can avoid those by doing this or this. Uh, do you have a horror story from the past that you'd want to share? So, yeah. <laughs> um, right off the hop, like, to meet me as a person, to have me over at your home, I'm a pretty... Not an intimidating guy, but I'm I'm tattooed pretty much head to toe. So you're going to know right off the bat if you get along with me or if you don't. Not that I'm a bad person. I'm not a mean guy or anything, right? I'm pretty personable when I get to the job site, at least. But a lot of people can't look past the way I look, which is sort of a good filter for me anyway, because those aren't the people that I want to work for to start with. Right. Um, so I got a filter right off the bat, but sometimes every, every now and then I'll have a client that slips through and I mean, the warning signs are there. They're, can we pay you in cash? Can we, uh, do we want to save some tax or whatever? Can we pay the materials directly and then pay you after? But yeah, I do have a horror story about a client coming home at the end or at the end of the first day and saying, well, why are you installing this product? We didn't think that you were doing it that way. And it wasn't the stone. It was, we use a synthetic base as opposed to a, uh, a traditional aggregate base. And he'd never heard about the product before. And all of a sudden, over the course of the next day, I'm doing it incorrectly. And uh, we're going to have to talk about that if you want to get paid. And uh, just at the end of the day, a bad experience that didn't have to be bad if the client would have leaned on my expertise as opposed to thinking that he knew more than I did. Because, I mean, I'm not a bad guy and I'm not out to take anybody's money or give them a job that doesn't last or uh, that that doesn't function the way it should. And I guess it's a maybe a communication thing. And sometimes personalities just don't click. But if the client really knew who I was as a person, I mean, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not out to, to steal from anyone. The last thing I wanted is to, to leave someone with a faulty job. But it made getting paid a headache in a season when I already had so much going on that uh, I just didn't need another headache. I, I mean, we never, nobody ever needs another headache when it comes to contracting. But... Uh, but yeah, um, you have maybe one, one a year, one every two years that, uh, that you don't really see eye to eye with. But uh, for the most part, we have incredible clients and, uh, it really makes us 
go further for them whenever uh, they leave it in our hands and they don't question our, our judgment or our skill. For sure. And I had a similar experience with my very first synthetic bass install. Uh, it was still fairly new on the market, and this customer hadn't heard about it before. Uh, luckily, I, 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 you know, let them know beforehand that I'm going to be using this product because it's a tight, tight, in, tight space to get into your backyard. But he was still kind of skeptical about it, and it showed when, whenever he got home, he like watched me like a hawk. And the only thing I could really do in that situation was just, you know, reaffirm him, tell him about the this specifications of what this base can do for you why it's better and so and so on and so on but you know you're always going to get that person that just no matter how much you tell them they're not going to be sold on it just because you know they they might have a more closed mindset or whatnot what did you do in that situation with with your customer so ultimately i i leaned a lot on our reps expertise and his ability to put out the fire, right? Because it's not like this was my first time doing a synthetic base. We've installed thousands of square feet and more than anybody in the city. I know what we're doing. I know how it reacts and everything. And it was maybe partially my fault because, uh, I mean, it was a game time decision to switch from traditional base to aggregate base based on the, the conditions. It was fall and, uh, things were a little mucky and, I didn't want to make a mess of the brand new sod. Uh, so, I mean, we cut it out with the with a hand shovel and then peeled it off with the excavator and stuff. And it just, by, by maybe not telling him to start, it wasn't the right thing to do. But then again, the quote never said we were using traditional base or we're using uh, aggregate base. We're just, or synthetic base, sorry. We're just going to do the job properly. And you hired us because we can do it properly. So... I sort of played off my relationship with our rep. I said, hey, can you speak to this client? You know we're not bad at what we do. So try and put out this fire a little bit and and allow us to get paid at least. And I mean, uh, I came down to our rep sending an email and and sort of uh, uh, not calming the client down, but uh, putting his fears to rest, I think at least. And I mean... And at that point too, like I was, I had just sent an email to the client and said, Hey, if you're not happy with the quality of work that we produced, just pay your cost of material, right? I don't, I don't need to make anything, especially off someone who's not happy with the work provided. Like, like I said, not a bad guy. I don't want to, don't want to leave anybody feeling like they've been ripped off. But, uh, to, to finish the situation, I guess we got paid. Uh, I'm thankful to the rep for uh, handling that for us. And uh, yeah, we're going to monitor the job over the next couple of seasons and we'll see, right? Yeah, absolutely. And backtracking a little bit here, uh, we talked a little bit about designs and in your design process, uh, questions you ask getting into the design. But what software are you running for your, your designs uh, in terms of creating them? I've always been a big fan of SketchUp mainly because it was free Mm -hmm. when I started doing design work. I put in a lot of time sort of learning the software, and I'm still not great at it, but it can get my point across when it comes to designing for clients. And I think that's the most important part for me is just to to show them something that uh, looks better than a a pen and paper drawing. I I invested in U-Vision and 
I'll dabble in that. I'm still not great with it. So we may transition to that over the years, but I just like how SketchUp is more of a CAD program and I can make my nice curves and all that, that are sort of our signature. Whereas uh, I'm having a hard time right now doing them with U Vision. Not that you can't, but uh, I just haven't invested the time fully into it. So uh, SketchUp is where we're at right now as far as design. Gotcha. And now getting into the installation process, are there any major things that your company lives by uh, in terms of installation, whether that's, you know, anything from installation methods, techniques, tools, anything that you guys live by? So we don't have like a, I know aggregates have different names everywhere you go. We don't have like an HPB and stuff. We have a, a clear chip, which is like a quarter inch clear stone that, that we use for all our bedding layers on top of uh, five eighths minus. And uh, as far as walls go, they're directly on three quarter clear. So no uh, three eighths or um, quarter inch clear on top of that directly on three quarter clear. We've done it that way for well, six years now and we haven't had a failure in a wall. I think that's will attribute some of the our success to that. Um, obviously, GeoGrid behind the wall. A lot of clear stone behind the walls. Uh, as far as tools go, one of my favorites is uh, something called the Flex Marker. And I know a lot of guys are using like a PVC pipe or like a tent pole or something. And uh, we like the the Flex Marker just because it's easy to use. We can connect a whole a whole bunch of them, but uh, we can do those long, drawn out curves and stuff and uh, mark them out easily with that. Uh, Saves a lot of time. I'm a big fan of the 14-inch saw just for most of the work that we do. I'll cut everything myself, usually all the big curves and stuff. The guys don't want to do it. I don't want to put them through it, and honestly, I don't mind. It's a, a little fun for me just to – I can think about other things while they cut. Uh, so a 14-inch saw with a diamond blade and getting to work is uh, important for me. Other than that, I think – a big investment for us this year was uh, a vacuum lift. A vacuum lift. So uh, we bought an MQIP uh, Turbo H, and we installed probably 5,000 square feet of uh, large slab with it, um, and that's been a, a lifesaver. Right? Uh, can't think of a, a better five grand that we spent this season. At least it made the installation process so much better. And I think everyone, if they can afford it, should get a uh, a vacuum lift, uh, or at least uh, look towards investing in one for their future. Yeah, absolutely. And MQIP is doing some amazing things. We've had them on the show before. And uh, the the Turbo H is that the uh, two person lift? No, that's uh, the so you put a sling and it runs. We run it off the shovel, so it's uh, oh they're gonna be mad at me for not knowing the specs on this on the air. But uh, no, it's a it's a unit that hooks up to your excavator, your skid steer, whatever, um, with a an electrical cord that runs off that. Um, it's good for wet and dry cast, which is uh, important for us because uh, we'll do dry cast steps with it and a uh, large slab. But uh, no, it's not a, a handheld unit. It's a uh, a unit that requires a machine, Gosh. like a like our shovel or something. Gotcha. Okay. And how about, uh, you know, 
looking up to people, people that have been your mentors or people that influence you, whether that's in person or online. Do you have any anybody you'd want to give a, a shout out that uh, over the years has helped you or even right now you, you look to them for some influence or uh, mentorship? Yeah. Um, so over the years, I mean, I sort of amassed a laundry list of, of guys that I talk to and uh, that I can lean on for advice and stuff, uh, some for advice on equipment, some for advice on installs, and some who I just absolutely love their design style. I'll sort of pick elements of, of something they've done and use it in my jobs. But uh, to start from the top, we work with uh, a contractor in town who's really helped bump us up tenfold over the past couple of seasons, building up creations. They're sort of like a great big brother to me, but he's really shown me where to go with the whole uh, hardscape thing because they were doing cool jobs before I knew that I could do cool jobs too. Other than that, Hardscape Auto up, me and Matt talk a bunch about jobs and just shoot the sh Alan Shade, ALH, he, uh, he's always there whenever I, I have a question about equipment. He's, uh, sort of guided me in the right direction a couple times. Uh, guys like Xterra and Clutch, uh, Sutton Outdoor, Fraser Valley from, uh, Sarnia, laid off from down in the States. And, uh, I like, uh, checking out Leaf's stories. I think she's great as far as, uh, social media and really pumping up what a business can be. From the design side of things, I like Mulder. Uh, Zamco is great. They do some cool stuff. Obviously, Premier. And uh, my favorite of all the design guys is uh, Preston Hardscapes. I think he does some awesome stuff, and uh, I'm glad I don't have to compete with him around here. Absolutely, and some uh, some great names to to look up to and to you know be influenced by, especially with their their designs. Uh, some some incredible designs coming from those guys. Now, as we close out this interview, Chad, uh, I've got one last question for you, and that's over the over all these years that you've been in business and started to install hardscapes. I'm sure you've learned uh, numerous things. But I want to narrow this down to one thing, one thing that you would recommend our listeners to know uh, that you wish you'd known from the very beginning, from the very moment you started your business. What is that one thing you wish you'd known from the beginning? Your life is going to change drastically. And if it doesn't, you're probably not a good contractor. And I think you won't notice it from the beginning. It comes on gradually. But all of a sudden, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago at all. It's sort of your job consumes you, and it's uh, for better or for worse, you're playing with a different deck of cards. Excellent, excellent advice. An excellent interview. Thank you so much, Chad, for joining us today. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me.